The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 20th chapter. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruits of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. This is the gospel of our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Well, dear saints, the events in today's gospel, they happened on Holy Week, on the Tuesday of Holy Week. And this was midway between the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we will celebrate next week, and his arrest in Gethsemane only a few days later. This would be Jesus's last public appearance in the temple. The next time that he would be there, it would be under guard. It would be in order to be, uh, appear before the Sanhedrin, before they sent him to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. It is here that Jesus speaks a parable familiar to many of our ears. That's about a vineyard. Jesus tells of a man who plants a vineyard and leased it out to tenants. This setting would have been something that all the people would have understand at that time. The renting out of vineyards was a common practice, just as leasing farm and farmland is common in our rural community today. Most of the people who listened to the story would quickly know that the vineyard represented God's people. 
This was a common picture throughout the history of all of Israel. You see, the owner of the vineyard would be God the Father. The tenants who cared for the vineyard represented the Jewish religious establishment, including the scribes and the chief priests who were in the crowd listening. The servants who came looking for the fruit of the vineyard were God's prophets. The owner's son would be none other than Jesus himself. The meaning of this is fairly simple, and we all have heard this parable before. You see, this is God's historical narrative of salvation. God is the owner, sending his servants, the prophets, over and over again to his people, Israel. And they are killed by him. Until finally God sends his son, but the same fate comes to him as well. As the wicked tenants threw the son outside of the vineyard and then killed him in the efforts to gain the inheritance themselves, so also the corrupt Jewish leaders sent Jesus out of town to die on a cross. But that doesn't stop God. What man had intended for evil, God used for the good of all. And Jesus, he quotes from Psalm 118 here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus, who was that rejected stone, conquered sin, death, and the power of the evil foe, the devil, with his holy life, his suffering, his death on that cross, and his resurrection from the dead. Unlike the son in this parable who stayed dead, Jesus Christ, the stone, the stone who was rejected, did not. He is now our living cornerstone, the one for me, the one for you, and for all believers. And this is the gospel message which we pass on. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That vineyard, well, it can also stand for the church today. Now, we may not kill the prophets, but we all too easily allow them to gather dust as they lie about on coffee tables and remain on our shelves. Today, the words of the prophets live in the pages of our scriptures, our Bibles. And all we have to do to ignore them is to leave them on those shelves, unopened. Or we don't gather to hear his word proclaimed. You see, the people who killed the prophets might have thought that they hated the prophets. But in reality, they hated the word of God that spilled out of their mouths. They hated the constant reminder that they were sinners in need of God's grace. The only way that they could get rid of those words was to kill the body that they came in. 
We may not kill the prophets, but we can do something far easier. Ignore them. And all we need to do is to reject the message of the owner. And we do this by keeping God's word muted in our own denial. It's easy for us to forget the basic underlying truth. Why the church exists. To bear fruit. Which belongs to the owner of the vineyard. To walk with Christ on his mission. The great commission. To make disciples. To baptize them. Yes, the pastor serves as the shepherd. The tenant farmer sent to work the church and to give God what is his. But you see, this church isn't my church. This church doesn't belong to the congregation council or to the bishop of the North American Lutheran Church. This is God's congregation, his field, his vineyard. He has planted the faith by the proclamation of his word. He waters and nourishes by holy baptism and holy communion. He expects the fruits of his labor to flourish. Fruits of the spirit, fruit of sharing the love of Christ, fruits of growing as God's people and the vineyard fruits of the faith. Now, there's no hint that the vineyard is not being fruitful. However, those in positions of authority who should be sharing the fruit well, they're not willing to give it. You don't have to look far to see the corruption and sinful nature that still affects our churches today. The never-ending media frenzy of clergy cover-ups, abuse, and sin. But it's not just them. Every single one of us struggles with the sinner inside, the old Adam who wishes to steal what belongs to God to the owner, to hoard it for ourselves, to take the inheritance and make it ours by our own self-righteous efforts. And while we don't always bear the fruit that we should and are tempted to hoard the fruits of faith that we bear for our own glory, we have a Savior who suffered extreme rejection for us and is now alive and is the true object of our saving faith. That rejected stone becomes the cornerstone and shows us that all is not lost. Yes, rejection has and will occur. First Lutheran Church could crumble and fall apart. Christianity could disappear from America. Lutheranism could disappear from this world. But even if it did, God's church will go on. God's mission will succeed regardless of that rejection. Rejected by the religious leaders of that day, God exalts his son and he builds his church upon that rock, Jesus Christ. One may stumble over the rock or be crushed by it. All who reject Christ will feel its sharpness and its pain. Yet upon this rock, God plants and builds his vineyard. 
God's vineyard will exist even if he is the only worker. God's vineyard, God's field, the church will produce fruit because of the son of the owner, Christ himself. He is the cornerstone that establishes God's church forever. And the father, he takes this rejection of his son and he turns it into salvation. You see, it all hangs on Jesus Christ. Everyone who falls on that stone named Jesus will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. You either fall on him in broken repentance or he falls on you with the full weight of your salvation rejected. In the end, it's all about Jesus Christ. Christ alone and everything is new through him. The Apostle Paul, like us, he had to wrestle with this. And you might say that he lost his religion the day that Christ appeared to him. And we have his first person account in his letter to the Philippians. Paul was trained as a Pharisee. He sat at the feet of one of the most revered rabbis of his day. When he was on the road to Damascus to round up Christians and have them delivered to Jerusalem, he was convinced that he was doing God a favor by stomping out this Christian heresy. Then came that fateful day when the crucified and risen Lord Jesus appeared to Paul on that road and his whole religious world was turned upside down. Listen to how Paul describes his life as a Pharisee. He says, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But then Paul goes on to describe his post-Pharisee life. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith alone. You see, this is what it means to fall on that rejected rock and be broken to bits. My richest gain I count but loss. It means that we count everything that we have and everything that we, we are as loss, as rubbage, as nothing in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and being found in him. It means, as Paul goes on to say, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting what lies behind. The old sin, the old Adam, the old ways of religion, each and every day drowning it in our baptism. Something new, a new person in Christ, a new you rises up to live before God in this righteousness not of your own. Dear saints, listen, this, this is the harsh Lenten reality. The old Adam that remains in us hates, despises to be saved. Our sinful nature resists it. And we too are like those ungrateful tenants who have been given much and yet withhold the harvest from God. In this is love. No, not that we loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be that atoning sacrifice for our sins. Who really wants to be broken? Who wants to admit our hopelessness? But the wonders of all wonders is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet God's enemies, he reconciled us to his father. While we were no better than those murderous tenants in God's vineyard, God made peace through the death of his beloved son. While we were dead in our sins, dead in Adam, God made us alive in himself, in Christ. He buried us with him in Jesus' death. He raised us to life in Jesus' resurrection. And he seated us in the glory of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And in the end, his resurrection by men means our acceptance before God. God's power lies hidden under weakness. A glorious hidden strength that is perfected in weakness. His suffering is our strength. His death is your life. And because of him, and only because of him, the vineyard of the Lord's planting is yours as a baptized child of God. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of our salvation. The Lord has done this for you. And it's marvelous to hear it in our ears. Dear saints, trust the rejected rock named Christ. Fall on that rock and he will raise you up and he will give you life. Yes, religion, it's fragile. And it can be easily broken. But faith, complete trust in God, the one who made a way for the church when there was no other way. Faith in this same God will make a way for you and me. Yes, there will be trials in this life that we can count on having. But we should depend on the faithfulness of God who sent his only son to save us from sin and death. God understands our imperfections, but he never leaves us. 
And knowing this, knowing Christ as Lord and trusting in his righteousness as our own is superior to all that we have ever relied on before. He alone is the one who gives perfect confidence before God. So imperfect as we know we are, we are enabled to press on, to keep the faith in him who has overcome sin as we struggle against our sin until we apprehend the crowning prize of heaven. Of that we can be sure. As surely as he lives and reigns for all eternity. And may this give us peace. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. May it guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.